everybody, it's Michelle Jackson, and I am here to host another Pen Posse Roundtable, and I'm very excited to be here. Today's topic is writing nonfiction for personal and professional growth, and we have an amazing panel that's going to talk to our nonfiction writers out there who need just a little bit of inspiration in order to get their books done. So the people on the screen have been there, done that, made mistakes, got it right, got it wrong, uh, self-published, maybe went through um, and got deals from different publishing companies or used vanity publishers. I am a fiction writer, so I'm going to host and try to give you as much insight as possible because I have spent my life reading nonfiction books on faith, on career development, Oh, wow. On finance. These are the books that helped me to get to the place that I am right now. And so I am excited to have this conversation because I believe that that nonfiction writers bring something to the table that is very unique. And that is insightfulness and being willing to share that insightfulness with the world. So at, at BWW, we have so many things happening. I don't want to start without laying out some of the upcoming events, including our summer of writing events, which will take place on July the 30th and 31st. The 30th, we will have our largest book relaunch party. It's virtual and we have exhibit booths ready for you. If you're interested in getting one of those exhibit booths, we have an early bird special that ends on June 1st. So we do invite everyone to participate as an exhibitor. You can sell your books, keep 100% of your proceeds, um, and we're going to have a party. So trust me, you definitely want to be a part of it. On the next day, we will have our first writer symposium and we will have around 12 to 15 different sessions, all designed for writers. And we will have people who will be speaking from all across the world. And I really hope that you guys will be a part of that. So for now, let's bring on our panel and start the pen posse roundtable. Hi, Julia. Hi, Alvinia. Hi. Hi, uh, Ellen is new with us, so we're excited hey. to have her. Hey, how you doing, Andrew? Hey, Tina is also new with us. And Ms. Clark, uh, you're very new, so we're going to get in new. there to meet you. And then we have Michelle Jones, who I think Michelle has been a part of every pen posse that we've had. So uh -huh. this is <laughs> almost, so this is great. So every month we take a topic. And we really get in there and have an insightful conversation about, about one particular topic with people who have been very active in that particular space or writing in that particular genre. And today we're talking about nonfiction writing. So this is what I'm going to ask everyone to do. First, for those of you who are watching, we ask that you share this on your page. If you are on Facebook, if you're on the Black Writers Workspace, the private group, um, go to at Michelle D. Jackson's page and you will find a shareable version. So be sure to share it so we can make sure that we have as many people watching as possible. We are also on YouTube and we will be uploading this to our new podcast that's on Spotify. And I'm so excited about that. So please do that for us right now. For the people on the screen, I want you to mute yourself until you're ready to, to speak. Um, but we're going to get started with first introducing ourselves to the audience. Um, and making sure that our audience understands that this is for you. So if you have questions, please drop those questions in the chat box and we will see them or put them on Facebook and we will see them. Um, so be sure to do that for us. Uh, be sure to let people know that we're here and we are available to you for two hours 
to talk about nonfiction writing. So it doesn't matter your questions. Doesn't matter if you think it's too simple. Ask it because we want to help. So we're going to get started. My name again, Michelle Jackson. I'm the founder of the Black Writers Workspace. I am also author of two books. One is The Heart of a Man, which is a Christian fiction book. And the other is From Darkness to Night, which is general fiction. I call it women fiction, um, family drama book. It's exciting. And I hope that you guys will take go out and, and, and purchase those books. You can find my work at Jackson. Um, I am also the owner of PR Solutions, which is a strategic marketing firm and the executive director of Life Skills Foundation and the IMVEST National Youth Business Competition. I am in New Orleans, and so the weather here is fantastic, um, but I am so excited to be on the screen with everyone. So we're going to go around, introduce ourselves, and then we're going to get into our topic. So Julia, what, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Julia Royston. I'm in Jeffersonville, Indiana. So um, uh, I, I love the food in New Orleans. So that, that, that's one of my things. That's one of the things I'm missing about Essence Festival. But anyway, uh, I'm Julia Royston. I own BK Royston Publishing and Royal Media and Publishing and the coaching community, The Book Business Bosses, where we help you get your message to the masses, turn your words into wealth and be a book business boss. I've written 60 books. The majority of my books are nonfiction. Although I write in other genres, not um, children's poetry, only one book. And that was my first one. Uh, but I also write uh, romance fiction as well. So I am a retired teacher and retired librarian. So uh, books have been my thing since I was able to read. No, really, before I was able to read because my mother used to read to us every night. So, um, you know, books have kind of been my life. I enjoy and love uh, helping uh, writers write. Uh, I love everything about the creative and writing process. I look forward to um, um, our conversation. And thank you so much, Michelle, uh, um, for allowing me to be a part of this panel. Thank you. Absolutely. No problem. No problem. Um, Avinia, we got, we have people who are falling in and all, all, off and on the screen. I'm, I'm not sure if there's a technical problem. Um, if you can go into the private box and let me know uh, what's happening. Uh, so, okay. Alvinia, if you want to introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Alvinia Key. I am from, um, well, I'm from California, but we moved here to Stockbridge, Georgia um, about two years ago. I am an author. I wrote a nonfiction book about my um, relationships. I wanted to write the book basically to help other young women out about relationships, just to give them an insight and to show them some red flags so they can you know, curve and not make the same mistakes as I made. And then I recently just um, self-published a children's book for my two-year-old to help him with his colors and zoo animals. And I have a coloring book that's out to help adults it's a basically a motivational coloring book. And I've been writing for for years and I have a mom's documentary that is coming out. Um, I'm all about uplifting women and that's my thing. Excellent, thank you so much for being here with us. We have some people off screen, we'll bring them on to introduce themselves. Um, I think we're having some issues with StreamYard. It's been kicking some people off the screen, but I'm not sure why, but we're gonna figure it out and make sure that we can you know, have space for everyone on the screen if that's possible. So um, let's go to Michelle Jones. 
Hello, everybody. Um, as she said, my name is Michelle Jones, and I am the writer's coach. I help authors with the birthing of their writing or their literary project. Um, from the concept to you're ready for publishing. I take you through that um, entire process. And then I also have the Authorpreneur Academy, where I actually teach authors and writers how to turn their writing into a business and what that looks like by teaching them the tips and the tools that you'll need in order to do that. I have four books out in the marketplace. I've written a book every year for the past four years. And all of my books are, um, except one, is nonfiction. And it was a journey. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a little bit. But Michelle, thank you for allowing me to be in this space. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you so much. Pronounce your name for me. Is it Ordean? Ordean? It's Ordean. So oh, more okay. and this, yeah, this is it spelled. So okay. thank you so much for providing this space. Um, I'm really excited to be here. So I'm a first time published author. Uh, just to give a little bit of background, born and raised in Toronto, Canada, now living just outside of Baltimore in Maryland with my family. Um, I've been a reader and a writer from a very young age. I wrote a lot of short stories as a child, one which actually got published in uh, my local school library and kind of put that aside for a long time and revisited uh, the idea of publishing something most recently when I was approached by um, Don Francis, who's already written two best-selling books to be a part of a collaborative project. And so I was part of a 16-author book called Discovering Strength, in which we each shared um, real-life stories of overcoming adversity um, it did come out last year, went to uh, bestselling on Amazon. And so now I'm in the process of writing my second book, um, which is the true to life story of Henrietta Lacks. And that came about um, when I learned about her maybe about four years ago, and I was a little bit shocked to discover her story and realize that there's just so much that wasn't taught to us in our history books. And so in the process of writing a short form history book for children, that will introduce them to historical figures that we have never heard of traditionally. Um, just kind of give them a little taste that will allow them to, or intrigue them to go out and want to find out more about that individual. Okay, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited thank to you. have you. Ellen, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, I am Ellen Butterfly. Ellen, I have nine published books. I also um, have a magazine, a publication that comes out quarterly called Book Baby Magazine. I live in Memphis, Tennessee, but I am a New Orleans girl, born and raised. Uh, I come home way too often because people say, well, you ain't lost your accent in eight years in Memphis, but you know, that's because I come home a lot. But uh, right now, um, and I'm also, I'm a writing coach and a ghostwriter. I have a passion for words, always have, I think, from very young age. So I enjoy working with clients. I have some I have some awesome clients, amazing, two amazing clients. Their work is coming out this year. But me, I have uh, two quasi-fiction books. I have three erotic books. I have a cookbook. I have a children's book for my grandsons. I got three of them. They're beautiful. Um, I also have an inspirational journal. So I'm kind of busy because that's my lifestyle right now. It's just words, 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 and a passion for words and helping people 
to get their words out and their voice out, not necessarily for publication, but just so that they can get it out and be who they need to be to themselves, you know. So that's me, you know, I'm just I'm just that girl. I do um I'm a playwright. I, I turned my first book into a play. I mean it's your first book into a play. And so I put that on tw twice, twice here in Memphis. So and I was the first um African American girl with an all African American cast that was allowed to be in a playhouse in the square in here in Memphis, Tennessee. So that's me. And I'm glad that I'm in here with you all, ladies and gentlemen. Excellent. Excellent. Very nice to, to have you. Very nice to have you. Um, Andrew, introduce yourself. Hey, sure. Good morning, everyone. My name is Andrew Snorton. I'm based out of the Atlanta, Georgia area. Since 2017, with my debut, I've written three books and recorded four audiobooks. Definitely the three books, even with the first book being more poetry based, it still is a reinterpretation of real life events. So I just took a creative license in making sure to get that done. And uh, just like anybody, you're covering themes and topics where you want to be authentic and accessible to readers of any level. And the same thing with the audiobook series where Wow. Okay. Sorry about that, guys. I'm not sure what's. We keep losing Andrew. Um, I think typically we can get ten people on the screen, so I'm not sure what why we're continuously having this problem. But we're going to move forward because I don't want to stop the process. And I know Andrew, if you're hearing us, um, what I'm going to do is take someone off the screen and give him an opportunity to get on the screen again. Okay, Andrew. If you want to finish, I'm not sure you just continuously getting kicked off, but we're going to make this work today. We're going to get it yeah, all in, in here. So those of you who are not on the screen the whole time, I can still see you. And if you have a question or you want to um, address an issue, just hold your hand up and I can see you and I'll put you on the screen. So right now, the only one who's not on is Michelle and Tina. Um, Andrew, I didn't want to stop you, um, but if you want to continue your intro. All right. Now I can't hear anything. Okay. We're going to go on to Reginald and we'll come um, back see, to I'm Andrew. I'm not getting any audio. I can't hear anything right now. Um, hold on. Hold on. Hold on just a moment. Okay, Reginald, come on. Let's introduce yourself and we'll get back to Andrew. Good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. This is good to be invited one time, but it's great when you get invited back the second time. So good to see Julian, Miss Keys, and Ordine. You're my neighbor. I'm in Bowie, Maryland. But anyway, uh, <laughs> and my wife is a pleasant, uh, and Henrietta Lack is a, her maiden name is a pleasant, and they're from the same area. So my wife, Claire, is that they're related. So, but anyway, um, my name is Reginald, ooh, God, Reginald Williams. I'm the author of A Marginalized Voice. Uh, I own Callista Casey Publishing, where I just basically help other folks get out their books. I just recently, um, we published uh, Becoming Pops. It's the story of a, of a, actually the gentleman who wrote the book has been dead for 20 years, but his son pulled it out and we got it together and put it out. And it's about uh, his father who had, um, abandoned him who had gotten back into his life and became very instrumental and helped his son become the number 17th draft in the NBA by the uh, New York Knicks. Um, 
I am currently writing a documentary called Scared, and that documentary deals with the um, the mentality or the, the the emotional instability of black folks when they're stopped by police officers. So that's me. Thank you so much. Reginald is always great for saying, giving us some amazing quotes. Uh, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to take you off and let Tina come on, and then we're going to get this conversation started. Hi, Tina. You want to introduce yourself? Hi. So nice to be here this morning. Um, I'm Tina Purnell. I am the uh, owner and editor at Equal Edits LLC. I'm a mom, ordained minister, and also a women's empowerment speaker. Um, I have written uh, about six books, um, nonfiction, uh, self-help types of books. And uh, my latest one to come out will be coming out um, in a couple of weeks here. And it's called Woman at the Well. And it's about uh, just uh, relationship journeys through uh, for Christian women uh, dealing with life, love, and God. Um, so that would be the subtitle. Um, I'm also a co-founder of um, BCPE, which is a Black Publishers and Editors Association. Um, and, and that's a group where uh, we create a space for editors and authors and writers and uh, self-publishers to come together and glean and learn and grow. Um, so that's me in a nutshell. I've been writing for, oh my gosh, uh, like someone else said, for years, ever since uh, uh, they were a child. So I've been writing since I was a child and also uh, teaching as well. So. I think that uh, writing in the nonfiction area kind of just makes it all come together, even though I love fiction as well. Um, but uh, that's me in a nutshell. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we're going to get everybody to mute themselves. And this is what we're going to do today. We have a good problem. The problem is we have so many people who want to talk about nonfiction and so we can't get them all on the screen. That's not a bad thing. You know, it's just a matter of, Technology can sometimes be limiting. However, we're going to take this topic and we're going to break it up into four different areas. And we're going to talk about it from the start, which is the start of writing nonfiction. And we're going to talk about finding the inspiration and the confidence to write nonfiction, developing an outline and knowing what your readers want, connecting with that audience. That's where we're going to start this conversation at. And we will, some of these questions, everyone will get a chance to answer some of them, only a set select few, but please don't hesitate to uh, let me know if you would like to add your voice to that conversation. Then we're going to go to our second part, which is called the heart. And this is the heart of writing nonfiction. And we're going to look at identifying ideas of subjectivity, perspectives, feelings, beliefs, and desires, all the things that we're putting into our nonfiction work, because these are very personal perspectives in a lot of the nonfiction that we write. Um, telling true stories that matter. That's going to be a key part of this, because although nonfiction is not about um, fictional storytelling, it is storytelling. You have to tell the story in order to either engage your audience in the direction that you're trying to take them in, whether you're talking about faith, you, uh, careers. A lot of us tell many stories within our nonfiction books in order to get our stories across. And so that's our ideas across. Uh, then we're going to talk about making the reader trust you while ensuring an emotional response. You write nonfiction, you want to 
you want to get that reader to feel something. And so that's what we're going to talk about as well is getting them to feel what you want them to feel. And that's going to be important. Uh, then we're going to talk about the end. And that's writing basically the combination of everything that you put in that book and making sure that that book is actually delivering what you want it to deliver. And that's accomplishing your writing goals, validating your personal and professional um, victories and inspiring, helping and healing yourself and the reader. And then we're going to wrap it up by talking about crafting nonfiction book from outline to publication, looking at defining sub genres, book cover layouts, editing, 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 publishing and marketing. And so let's get started with you, Julia, the start, finding the inspiration to write nonfiction um, how did you find the inspiration to write the nonfiction that you've written over the years? Well, uh, that that's a wonderful question. And, um, and I, I, I'm not going to be able to stay on the whole time, but Michelle, I see you have some excellent panelists. So I'll, I'll jump on and put my two cents in and, and jump off just in case somebody else needs to take the screen. So just kind of the opening of the inspiration for it. When I first started writing nonfiction, um, it was a mandate. It was like, uh, it, it's a spiritual thing. It was, uh, God said, these are the things you're gonna write about and this is what I want you to do. And and that's not normally in, in the publishing and writing business the way you do it. Normally you say, who's my audience? You know, do they, you know, you go through all of that. But when I first started 15, 16, 17, almost 20 years ago, it wasn't that kind of party. It was like, you're going to write this. I don't care if nobody buys it. I said, you do it. And then, so that was number one. And then over time, over the years, uh, number two, um, I had, I started developing clients and getting clients. And when I finally said yes to publishing other people, then number two was their needs. What do they need? And continually answering that question over and over and over again um, and, you know, it was their needs. So number one was God mandated and empowerment. Um, that's where my devotionals came in. That's where my other inspirational writings came in. He mandated it. Number two, my clients mandated it. They said, this is what I need. And people kept asking me the same question over and over again. So therefore I was actually meeting needs and answering questions of people. And then number three in my industry, in my, uh, um, expertise area that I wanted to solidify myself with, I realized I needed to be uh, a, a voice in that industry. So I needed to say some things. I needed to come from my own perspective. And all of us on this panel have their own perspective. But I needed to have my own perspective on this topic. So I do have, you know, my signature set, write, publish, and promote series. So therefore, I was answering not only my clients' problems, but an industry problem. And I wanted to solidify myself as an expert. Now, I know you all will talk about later how to make sure the person trusts you, how, how you know, but that takes time and that takes uh, trial and error, that takes referral, that takes people taking what you said and applying it to their uh, particular situation, seeing what works, tweaking it, et cetera. Those are my three things. They have, been, they have been mandates. And then maybe my fourth bonus would be events occurring. 
There have been switches and changes in in the climate, in the environment. So therefore, we have to have responses to it. And if you're going to stay in this, uh, your whatever your area of expertise is, if it switches, then you need to either not say anything, or if you have a a, a comment or a perspective to add to the um, to the conversation, then you need to add it. And then that, those are my four things. Thank you so much, Julia. I, I want everybody to kind of address this question about finding inspiration and confidence to write. But I want you to also tell me something as a reader of nonfiction, which is this is your perspective. What gave you the confidence to believe that there was an audience for your perspective? Anybody want to take that? Oh, everybody wants to take it. Ellen? <laughs> With my, with my first book, um, the reason I say that it's quasi-fiction is because I had to add a few little things. That was my first time, and so I was adding a few little things so that it could kind of break up, um, I guess, the, 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 the consistency of pain. Because when you're writing memoirs or you're writing something from fiction, and especially when it's personal, you have to step back from it sometimes in order to say, you know, was this really going on? But you have to, the inspiration and the confidence comes once you figured out what's going on in your story, how you want to present it, and your authentic voice. We cannot get into fiction or nonfiction when we don't have an authentic voice. And that's what I expressed. So basically with my clients, all of them have been referred to me by other publishing companies and stuff who like my style and my descriptives and how I make stuff come to life, stories come to life. A lot of times when you're engaging in that, what you do is you're just going to keep like a run on, a straight run on. You know, you're just going to tell this whole story. It's the way it happened. And you have no pauses in between it. So what I love about it is that I'm able to draw things out of my clients that they would not necessarily say or they would necessarily review. Or maybe they skipped over a section because that's basically what I deal with. I deal with clients who are coming and they're wanting to get their stories out. And they don't know exactly how to say it. So what I like about it is that the ones I've dealt with so far, they have a, a good base for these stories. So I don't have to be pulling teeth and grabbing this and, and, you know, just from that dead air. But I have so much that they give me to work with. And so then I'm able to structure around that. And I maybe need to help them on the right in or as a ghostwriter because some of them may not want um, they may not want the acknowledgement of having wrote their book or wrote their story writing their story so basically but the confidence and the confidence is coming into knowing who you are where you are and what you're ready to reveal and a lot of times if you're not ready to reveal everything the whole truth i just i just think that you should bow out so i'm kind of a up in your face and straightforward um coach and so i, I you know that's the way I, I that's the way i present myself and so my clients i tell them the same thing we either gonna okay. do this or we're not Okay, I want to once again tell everyone to please post your questions. Uh, what we're understanding is that I love what you said about authentic voice. Um, that is very important in, in writing nonfiction. But talk to me, Reggie, about that confidence um, level as well, and from your perspective, when it comes to writing nonfiction. It wasn't really, uh, it wasn't even a question of confidence. Uh, 
I, you know, for those who, for those individuals who, um, well, you have some people who believe in the Bible and you have others who don't, they'll say that, you know, how did God write the Bible? You know, God wasn't a person. And, and I say the same thing about me. I didn't really write my book. It, my name appears on it, but, but my, the people who I wrote about wrote my book. I spend time in prisons. I spend time in courtrooms. I spend time in workshops. I spend time in distraught mothers' homes, right? And so I was just smart enough to capture those stories and, and put it on paper and tell it in a way that made people feel what I experienced on an everyday basis. I had no inspiration to write this book. I was pushed. I was made to do it. I just got tired of, um, and there's a word I use, iatrogenic. I was tired of the iatrogenic behavior that black boys were suffering, and it was weight on me, and I felt like I needed to get it out. So it wasn't even a confidence thing. It was just, you got to do this. You got to do this. Drawn to the well, I feel like sometimes when it comes to writing books. I woke up the other morning with an idea to write a book, and I was like, and it's 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 nonfiction but it's time for me to put some of my own experiences on paper. And it is, I love exactly what everyone said with Julia saying, you know, you find that inspiration because sometimes it feels like it's God mandated. Um, you find it because the clients or the audience is calling for it. I mean, in this world of social injustice, it's like writing books about that. It's like the, the world is calling for it. Um, and then the having, you know, in, in that process of, of writing the book, having that authentic voice, the way Ellen mentioned, and also, you know, just you're ready to reveal this part of your life, which I absolutely agree with. Anyone else want to add something more to that? Michelle? Um, I think I agree with everything that's been said. There's there's one thing that really has struck me in, in my journey is that we have to realize that we are just the conduit. The story is using us as the conduit to be told. And so you have to have confidence in your ability to hear what the story is telling you it wants to tell. And once you do that, and a lot of times it does, it plays in with your ability to be transparent to be authentic and then to believe this one thing. And this is what I had to, to learn. What other people think about what I wrote is none of my business. Okay. That was the biggest lesson I had to learn. And so once I got over that hurdle, I was good to go because what holds us back and what creates the avenue of lack of confidence and fear is because we're concerned with what somebody else is going to say about what we're writing. If somebody else is going to accept the words that we have put on the pages of that book, if the story comes to you to be told, then that means that it is an ordained assignment and you will have no peace until it's told. Kind of what Reginald said, you will have no peace until you step into that arena 
and and allow the story to use you as its conduit and to be put out there because the audience is waiting. It's time for you to get to work. Absolutely. Absolutely, Michelle. I'm going to bring Tina on the screen so that she can have an opportunity to address this question. Um, hopefully we can keep her. I may have to bring somebody off, but I'll bring you back at some point. Tina, did you want to address the question of confidence around writing nonfiction? Sure. I think that um, a lot of people, when we begin to write nonfiction, we have a fear of, like you said, this is my personal story or this, you know, who's going to want to hear this? Who is going to want to um, hear what I have to say? And so what I always tell people and what I had to learn um, is that you are your first rough draft. So whatever you are writing, and especially if you are faith-based, most of the time what you're writing is going to bring a certain breakthrough or a certain deliverance, a certain growth to you first. And so you have to have confidence in what God is doing in your life. You have to have confidence of what he has done in your life, that it is truly uh, something that at least one person is going to, to grow from. It's going to help at least one person get up out of a situation that they otherwise wouldn't know what to do. So I always tell people to um, understand that you're your first rough draft and grow with it, grow into your writing, grow into uh, the story, whatever you're, whatever the Lord has told you to put on paper. Um, and for me, particularly, I had a really rough time with my first book, um, just having that confidence to write and being inspired to write. But the Lord just kept telling me, just keep writing, just keep writing, you know? And so um, the more you write, the more you understand um, that this is something that's a vehicle that, that is moving on its own, you know, um, it is truly inspired. I think that was Reginald say, you know, well, who wrote the Bible? Well, the Bible was inspired writing. And, and it's the same with us. So we just have to kind of lean into it. I love that. I love that. And the reason I asked, I've got some feedback. The reason I asked this question is because I used, well, I write for a Christian um, magazine. And I remember every month coming up with a topic to write about. And it would be a little uncomfortable because I'm not a theologian. You know, I'm writing from my perspective. I'm trying to inspire using my own experiences. And I would get into that feeling of, is this right for me to do it? Am I educated enough about faith to do it? Because I'm not a minister or in the ministry, do I have a right to tell people? And yes, absolutely, you do. You, you do have that right to share your experiences with the world. But it needs to be done in a very professional way. And it needs to be done using all the standards and te techniques that we writers have to use. And so the next question is about building an outline for nonfiction. Now, for fiction, I can tell you I'm all over the place with my outlines because my characters start to write themselves at some point. But when you're writing nonfiction and you got to tell me I'm going to bring Alvinia on the, on the on the screen to give her a perspective on this. But how do you start? Do you write an actual outline or do you just start writing? And what have you found to be the best approach? I'm sorry, Andrew. Yeah, you you on this. I see you there. Yeah. yeah. Andrew can address this as well. And then Alvin, we're going to bring you on to um, to talk about it. 
All right, great. First off, it's great to be back. <laughs> so having said all that, and I think all of us can say, you know what, you go where it takes you. Some people will outline first and then fill in the gaps. But to me, when I look at any of the, like the first two, the first book that I did, I really just did the writing. And then after I did the writing and how I wanted to reinterpret it and using creative license for using poetry to retell these real stories, that's what I did. Now, my second book, which was more interview based, I definitely outlined because anytime you're talking with people on that level, when they're opening up about um, the biggest daily challenge they live with, how they're using whatever the lens of their faith to best practices, to changing what's in between your left and right ears, something like that, I knew I needed to outline. But I think all of us, we might have a preferred style, but you go according to the content and the direction you're going to go in. And I think all of us can say, you don't restrict yourself. You don't, it's just like, you don't eat the same food every day you're not going to write the same way every day. You're not going to use the same style or whatever. So to anyone out there, I think the biggest thing is just get started. Like all of us can say, just get started. And whether it directs you to structure first and then fill it in, or let me just get it out there. Now that I've got it, what do I need to do with it? There's there's really no wrong way to do something. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Avinia? So it took me five years to write my book. Um, it took me, I was in a rush. I was super impatient, but God had other plans for me. He was like, no, sit down, you're not ready. And um, when I think my my last relationship, it after that, I literally wrote my book in six months. And that's how I knew that that was, it was time. Mm-hmm. I brainstormed first and then I did an outline and that's how I've done my second book as well that I'm currently working on brainstorm. And then I did my outline. It, that works for me. It makes it more structure for me and easier for me to figure out what I'm going to do and how I'm going to speak and what I'm going to talk about and that different section. I don't have the um, name or the title yet, or what I just know what I'm going to talk about in that section. Excellent. So I would just say, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I would just say brainstorm and mm-hmm. the outline. It, it helps me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody else have anything to say about the outline, Michelle? I guess I'm the oddball in the group. I did not do an outline when, um, especially when I wrote Walking on Water in My Stilettos, there was no outline. When God said, put pencil to paper, I put pencil to paper and I wrote. And it took me three weeks to write that entire book. And when I got through and I went back into the book, that's when he started identifying the areas and gave me the titles of the sections and that type of thing. Um, I do know that I have several friends that are authors that use the um, outline method. I That's just not how he gives me my information. I am a writer. And so as a writer, I write. And I allow the story to tell itself. 
And then I go back in and I break it up into sections according to how um, the creator gives it to me, how he downloads that area to me. And then I label it and then we go on about our business. You know, the, the question I have about that is how do you keep your voice when you don't outline it? Like the, the, the thing for me is I feel like nonfiction writing is a lot of passion writing. You know what I'm saying? It's passion writing. So if I wake up on Monday and I'm passionate and I'm and I'm typing away, I have no structure to this. I'm just I'm just dumping all this emotion on a page. And then Tuesday I wake up. I ain't mad at my husband no more. I'm good. I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I don't have to go there. I'm, I'm in a different space. Do I keep the, the voice? Does the voice stay consistent? And how if, I mean, what's your tricks? And I know Julia's hand was up. But do you have any tricks for how to keep the voice and the tone consistent? Well, okay. So I've done both. I, I started out just like Michelle. Um, it, it was extemporaneous. When he gave it to me, I got it out. I, I can get a nonfiction book out in 30 days. It is, I, I don't take all that long because I like sleeping. So he doesn't let me sleep if I don't get it out. So I'm, I'm, I'm with a man with Michelle all day long. But the, the passionate writing, I was hot about it today and I'm not hot about it tomorrow. Um, that's going to be kind of hard. That's going to be a struggle. And that's going to be uh, a writer's kryptonite, writer's block. When you get hot about a thing today and you cool off tomorrow, well, was it really supposed to be you writing or are you just journaling for the day? If that be the case, that uh, that's fine to journal and then go back through and then figure out and put it all together later for the book. I, I have no problem because that's how my first book came. I journaled it and I didn't even know I had a book for seven years. I didn't, I didn't know I had a book. I was just trying to get over the divorce. That's all. So therefore, if it's it's based on emotion and it's just based on, you know, the Breonna Taylor was killed last year and, and now it's somebody else and, and I'm, I'm cooled off of that and everybody's fine, then okay, maybe that's not for you to write about for the world to know. But I believe you, me, if it's something that the world is supposed to know and it's just not private journaling, that heat will be on you so hot, you won't be able to sleep. You will not be able to eat. You will be have a sandwich in one hand and your hand going on the keyboard or your pencil to paper in the rest. That's, mm. that's, how it, that's how it goes. So I know writers write and sometimes you're just writing because you just had some thoughts that came to your mind. But when it's a, when it's a focus driven something for nonfiction that's eventually going to be published to the world, that heat won't let you go until you get it out and you'll be like Elvina, you know, you'll get it out in three weeks and because it was the time it was right. She was ready. The story was ready and it was time to go. But until that happens, keep moving, keep writing. Just like Andrew said, flush it out. But when it's ready, it will not let you go. I like that. Let, let me, let me, let me two, two, two quick things. Um, to your point, Michelle, this is how I write everything. I could be sitting down and writing about, let's say, a cookbook. And in the midst of that cookbook, something can be said, something could happen. I could have seen something and my thought changes, which means that now what do I do? Do I honor the thought that's now in my mind or try to flush it down because I'm writing on something else? So oftentimes, whatever that thought is, I will write it and I will take it and put it in the bank. 
because you were pissed off at your husband, you're going to be pissed off at him again. And so now that it's in the bank, you can go back to the bank again and pick up on it again. And you'll be pissed off enough times that a book will come out of that. Right. But in terms of writing a marginalized voice, the first four chapters I had, I just wrote. It was just me having something in my spirit and I needed to get it on paper. And I put and I think I may have told you all this last time. I just put it away. I walked away from it because it was never a book. Um something happened and i used the word earlier iatrogenic i i one of the things i've done i i ran a uh, violence program uh gang violence guys who were either shot or shot at someone and we used to have a bi-monthly meeting with people across the country on the subject matter and there was this white woman from the Midwest who was in her mid fifties. And I'm thinking this white woman can't tell me nothing about black boys in the hood. Well, how wrong was I? And she started talking about iatrogenic behaviors. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. And I ended up looking up the word and found out what this word was. And that word became my, because again, I hadn't outlined anything. It became my, my, that word was my driving force to finish the book, right? And so now I had to go back to these first four chapters, figure out what they were, what I needed to do with them, you know, and, and that's how I structured it. When something is, when, when it's authentic, when it's given to you, and when it's a gift, it will work itself out, you know? And so I'm not against anyone who outlines anything, but I am not going to put myself in a box where I have to say, I got to follow this outline because even if I do have an outline, it may change. Love it. And we're going to move forward guys. We can talk about this. You, 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 you guys are on it this morning. Everybody's had their coffee. So knowing what your readers want and connecting with your audience. Now, if there is no, audience for the book and, and don't get me wrong i understand we're writing a lot of us write from passion we write from our you know our our god is just telling us you know i've had that experience but you still are writing for an audience as well so in developing your nonfiction book and in, in laying your perspective out there on the page how do you discover and it has to be a discovery in my opinion or how do you know that there is an audience for what you are about to say and how do you find that audience and try to define that audience and connect with that audience ellen i'm going to start with you and then we're going to get to everyone else if we can though we want to make the the um, answers quickly because we we we're still in okay. section one y'all <laughs> okay <laughs> so so for my first book um, my book is about codependency. And like I said, it's quasi fiction, but it has a lot to do with my life story. And so what I did when finding my audience, I look for people in general, but at 18 and up who um, understood them, who thought that they understood themselves. And so I'm also a motivational speaker. So I, I was at uh, different colleges and stuff like that because I connected with certain deans and stuff. And my question is, how many of us are codependent? In a room of 40, 50 people, you might have two, three people raise their hand, right? So my approach is that, you know, without calling people liars, I, I technically call them liars. I just call them to the floor. We are born into codependency. So my book is something that we need to understand that 
we're not above being unhealthy in codependency. So there's two avenues, there's an avenue that we all that we all can transcend when we look at what's going on in the world. Mine is about codependency. My audience is people who've gone through anything, especially after you out of your parents' house and you realize, now I'm not codependent, I'm self-sufficient. But if you get into a relationship and it becomes unhealthy or you get into a habit that becomes unhealthy, then of course we are transcending all kinds of lines right now. And it has nothing to do with uh, economics. It has nothing to do with race, color, or creed. And so when you're looking for your audience, I just think that when we tap into certain things, like abuse and drug addiction and all that audience is already built because it's something that is going on around the world. It's systematic with a lot of people, maybe not in your life, but also, but it's in the life of somebody that you know, that somebody that knows somebody that knows somebody. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking for your audience, you just have to gravitate towards where you think your voice can be heard first maybe on a smaller platform and that way you grow it to a bigger platform. That's what I've learned. That's why I know what I teach my uh, students about, Excellent. you know, just figuring it out. Sounds good. Excellent. Excellent. Did we have some other people want to add? Um, good goodness. Let's see. Um, Alvinia and then Andrew and then Michelle. So my audience is women. Um, we all, not all women, but for the majority part, women have issues when it comes to men especially young women. Um, I have a 23 year old. Um, she's had, she has issues now when it comes to her boyfriend. So I wanted to tell my story about my different relationships. So other women won't, young women especially, won't have those same problems. And if they see those red flags, they can go left and not go right. So that's my audience. And that's why I wrote the book and I was so transparent. And a lot of people were saying that maybe I shouldn't have told so much, but I wanted to, so they can understand like, hey, she went through this. Maybe I should turn left so I won't go through the same things that she went through. I like what you said, Alvinia. We're gonna talk about that in this next topic coming up. Um, I'm gonna to get to Drew and Michelle as well about identifying ideas of subjectivity and just the, the level of transparency that you put into the book in order for it to be authentic enough for people to even wanna read it. What I don't like is a nonfiction book that's going to be on the surface because if you're gonna sit down and write it, write it. Tell me what, what really happened so that I can learn from it. But there are writers who are still trying to keep a million writer secrets. And it's like, it comes through because the voice isn't authentic enough. So we're definitely gonna talk about that. But Drew, let's talk to you about um, knowing and, and who, what the reader wants. Yeah, and, and to me, one of the things I always operate under is that people have it here, but they might be reluctant to put it here and definitely reluctant to put it on paper. So you are that voice. And I'll tell you what really hit home for me on my first book based on real life conversations, real life issues. It was very open and very transparent. Two things that really let me know that I was putting something authentic and accessible and connecting with an audience, whether it's because if you look at my data, the majority of people who are following me, it's like 60 percent female. So I don't know, maybe it's the haircut, the hat. I have no idea. But one of the things that really hit home were the first the first time I did an open reading 
And the first two chapters were dealing with the relationship that someone had with their mom and someone had with their dad. And for people who I didn't know to come up to me to say that explained the relationship I had, that hit home. And this was like doing a pre-reading before dropping it officially. And then I'll always remember with the first book, summer 2018, I did a signing. And one of the chapters is very open and very transparent about the dissolution of a relationship. And one of the people came up to me and said, this spells out everything that I felt at the time. But what was eerie is that she said, and I still feel that way. So when you think about the whole themes of cathartic release and being open and, and all the severing degrees can relate with this, there is strength in vulnerability. And if you're being willing to be vulnerable, then for readers, regardless of this is my core audience, you can speak to any audience. And the same thing with the second book, where when you're interviewing someone who's talking about his life in prison and life after, when you're talking about people living with whatever physical health, mental health, because somebody somewhere is feeling the exact same way. And like I said, they know they have it here, but they're reluctant here and they're definitely reluctant here. So when you're able, like everyone said, to just be just put your hand in the dirt, you know, get the shovel and break the clay. That regardless of who your primary audience is, that allows you to speak to any and everybody. And I think all of us here can say we know who our bread and butter is. But every once in a while, you know, I want a couple different sides. You know, I want some red beans and rice. I want some, you know, fish and grits or whatever. So just be willing. Like I said, if anything, there's strength and vulnerability. So any of these real topics and real people that we're talking with, don't be afraid to go there because like others have said, someone needs us to go there. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Michelle, absolutely. Um, this is kind of like a double-edged sword. Um, because you have to determine what it looks like best for yourself. Your book is your baby. You birthed it. And, and your book will kind of guide you to the audience that it's meant for. Your position is, or your responsibility is, is to create the avenues in which to show up where those audiences are so that they know that your book is available. When I put out Walking on Water in My Stilettos and when I did Desperate Housewives of Biblical Proportions, I knew that though that was speaking to a lot of women inside of the church. So I positioned myself because I'm an ordained minister as well to be there to do workshops and to get it out there. What I didn't understand at the time that I did it and that I've learned since is what Andrew says. There is that remnant that's around there that will get wind of what you're doing and they will invest in what it is that you are presenting because it speaks to them. Somebody told somebody who told somebody and it ended up there. I teach my clients, whether they're doing nonfiction or fiction, to develop your ideal reader avatar. Who is it that you are imagining is going to read your book? And then develop him or her. What kind of hair do they have? What kind of food do they like? What kind of clothes do they wear? What kind of music do they listen to? What kind of move, um, movies do they watch? What do they do in their spare time? 
And then you begin to go and find those those places where those individuals are and you market your book to where those places are and those people spend time. And so there there's a couple of different ways that you can do it, but that's kind of my take on it. Great. We, we are going to, you know, there are writers like myself who have a tendency to write the book and then let the audience discover themselves almost uh, because I have a right. I have an idea of who the, the reader will be. But my first book, which is fiction, I wrote the book. It's called The Heart of a Man. And I remember someone walked up to me and said, oh, my God, I loved your book. It was all about money can't buy you love. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, I mean, they were right, but I had never thought of it that way. I mean, she said it so simplistically. And I realized that the reader can help you almost define who the audience is. And it really kind of opened my mind to, as Michelle said, now I figured a new avenue that I need to be pursuing with my book off of something that a reader said to me, not that I knew, because I'm writing this book and thinking, you know, this is for those who love fiction. You know, it's, you know, the heart of a man, but it, mostly women are going to buy this. And re but I really did not. And I'm sorry, guys, I didn't give a lot of credibility that a lot of men would pick my book up and read it. But that's another thing that shocked me. My brother, who's a state trooper, said I put it on my desk and all the other state troopers were taking time reading it and passing it around. And I'm going, wow, OK, so sometimes you know we have an idea of who the reader is and sometimes the reader will help us to define what the theme of the book is which absolutely helps us to identify a larger or an expansive base of people we could be reaching out to so let's talk about perspectives feelings beliefs and desires um that authentic voice you know when you write nonfiction, like i said before you're putting your heart into a book you are telling a story to help influence people in one way or, or another. But what do y'all think about those who, who you may feel don't have the credibility, the right perspective to, to talk about a particular issue? Um, I want to go to Tina. Do you have anything? I don't want to miss over you. I know we haven't heard from you in a minute. Did you want to add anything? If not, we're going to go to Julia and we'll come back. Yeah, to Yes, I did want to add as far as the, um, I think you were asking about the vulnerability, the level of vulnerability we should have when we're writing. Um, and I wanted to touch on that for a minute. I think that um, as a writer, we have a, a responsibility. You know, this, uh, I tell people that I'm coaching, especially with nonfiction, you, if you're, <laughs> your words can definitely be a weapon, you know. Um, if you are using them in the wrong way, if you are using it just to call out people and get back at them and, you know, um, so I think that uh, it is different for everyone. And when it comes to vulnerability, vulnerability and authenticity, we have to uh, do it in a way where we're not being messy vulnerable, you know, um, so uh, and you got to remember that people are going to read this for you know, years and years, a decade, however long, you know, and so we want to make sure that we're not being a stumbling block to anyone while we are also getting to the essence of what needs to be said. So I think as long as you are digging down deep enough to where the essence is coming through, 
of what you want your reader to know, uh, what you're trying to help them through, you know, and you're doing it in a, in a way that is healthy and giving everyone room to grow. Even if you have to talk about these difficult subjects and maybe you're talking about molestation or maybe you're talking about something that happened in the church or something like that, but you want to make sure you leave room for everyone to grow, for everyone to repent and leave room for forgiveness. Love it. Absolutely. Love that. Messy vulnerability. Love that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Julia, you had, you're, you're muted. Okay. I, I, I had to, uh, I've got to go. So Michelle, you take it the rest of the way. But uh, um, so my first thing as far as writing nonfiction, especially if it's more toward a memoir, uh, nonfiction, you know, changing the names to protect the innocent. That's another thing. But um, also knowing uh, when I, when I coach authors, I said, you know, imagine it's a, a young teenager you're trying to save them, give them the red flags that they need so that they don't uh, venture and make the same mistakes, whether it was your fault or somebody else's fault that happened to you. And then you're trying to pull somebody out who, um, who may be in that situation or you know, you're trying to bring awareness to uh, a broader audience about that particular area and about that particular topic. So, you know, you gotta figure out uh, what your point and what your purpose is. You know, I, I, I caution authors, are you, are you really wanting to help somebody else? Because if you are, somebody's gonna come to you eventually and want either coaching or additional advice or additional help with this to walk them through that process. And are you really prepared for that next piece as well? And I, I'm I the experts and being certified, I'm all about that because I'm an educator. So I'm all about that too. But the authenticity part is, you know, I can't help somebody about having a baby because I've never had one. Mm-hmm. So there's there's things that are just uh, an experience you had that makes you an expert because you went through it and you came out on the other side. So therefore, those types of things you you have to determine. Um, what your level of expertise too is. And then the last thing, uh, you you got to make sure that um, your life is prepared to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Is your, are you prepared? Do you, are you uh, making your life available? And some authors who brings books to me and it's a wonderful subject and God's telling her to do it and I'm ready to go too. But before we, do anything. I don't care about the business part. I'm like, is your life prepared and ready for that? And I know that brings about fear and trepidation and hesitancy and all that good stuff. But you have to make sure, especially with nonfiction, that your life is ready for people to ask you questions, request things of you, and to um, to, to make you uh, their coach, their mentor. I want you to be my mentor. I want you to be my coach. I want to be your my inspiration. And I'm like, you know, is your life prepared for that? Because there will be people who are in situations who need that. Thank you so much, Michelle Jackson, for this opportunity. I love you all. I'm super excited about everything that God is doing through all of us. I can't wait till the next time. Hope to see you at the symposium or any other of the Black Writers Workspace event. Thank you so you much. Have a you great really day. Appreciate it. And I know, Andrew, you've got to leave as well. So thank you so much. 
I don't know what happened to um, Ordine, but if she's out there, please log back in. We can definitely put you on the screen. Um, I wanted to ask the question, and, and Julia kind of brought it up, was about the authenticity of the writer. Um, do you want to read a book by someone who doesn't have, it's not about, I'm not even looking at the certifications or the degrees, but just the experience. I remember someone writing a book about marriage and then said, but I've never been married. How do you feel about that? And on the flip of that, what you're saying, how do we then relate to questions from people who aren't marginalized, who like to write characters about marginalized people? I have to ask this question because I get it all the time. How do you feel about the two from a non-fiction perspective, can someone who hasn't experienced something write a book about it? And from the other perspective, can white people write books about black people and it be fair and just, and okay, Andrew, I know you've got to go. I'll, I'll, I'll say this real quick before I got to go. On that first one, if someone is writing about something that they have not experienced, it's great to get their take and get their opinion but when it comes to authentic, like if I want to know how to swim, I better talk to a swimmer. You know what I mean? If I want to know how to cook, I better talk to a chef. If I want to learn how to fly an airplane and I kid around with this all the time, I can sit in the cockpit all day. But if you are foolish enough to get on that plane, then we all kind of crash and burn, basically. It's great that people have these ideas and concepts, and it's not to say that they don't have merit. But by the same token, like they say, if you haven't walked in somebody's shoes, it's hard to really talk about it. And pivoting to Caucasians writing about the Black experience, it's one thing if they have interviewed someone. It's one thing if they might have those ties family-wise. And it's great that they are using their platform to speak to whatever, the challenges, the successes, whatever. But, you know, it's kind of like if you haven't been there, you're really sharing your opinion and there's nothing wrong with sharing your opinion. But I don't, for like a term, there are levels to it. And, and it's like, for example, I can't write about what it's like to be a black woman. Now, have I lived with some? Yes, I can pull that and I can interview and I can retell as best as possible, make it as authentic as possible. But unless I am one, I can't speak to that. Do you see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. it's the same principle. You, we, we can capture as much as we can to retell it as accurately as possible, as authentically as possible. But to say you are something when you are not, I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm just gonna leave it there. And on that note, I'm gonna excuse myself. Thank okay. you to everybody thank you. working with me. Continued well wishes, continued blessings to everybody. So thank you all, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else wanna take this? Wanna talk about telling true stories that matter, making readers trust you, ideas of subjectivity? Michelle, I'm sorry, Reginald. Were you about to say something? No, I'll, I'll go after Michelle. Okay. Mm -hmm. I think that it's it's very important. Um, something that uh, Julia said before she left: your life has to line up with the vulnerability that you put in the book, because it's nothing worse than to be at a book signing or be at an event and someone brings up something that was very painful experience for you in the book. 
and you have to speak about it and then you you don't have the capacity to be able to speak about it that's difficult for a lot of people and so what i did when when i wrote walking on water in my stilettos or it wasn't really me it's what god did he healed me from everything that he knew would be brought up to me while i was writing that book that level of transparency you have to allow yourself to go through that healing process while you're writing the book because the book should be healing you and preparing you for whatever is coming next so that when you get before people you show up as an overcomer mm -hmm. not still as the wounded bird because mm -hmm. then it takes away from the effect of the testimony and so we we've got to look at that and make sure that we are positioning ourselves that when we put it out there that we have done our self-work Mm -hmm. that we have done the things that we needed to do so that if somebody brings up the fact that you were molested, you don't start experiencing all of those feelings again and you don't get caught back up into that storyline, but you're able to talk to them in a way that you are bringing them up to where you are so that they can begin to heal themselves. And it's something that Tina said, it's very important that you've already got to your place of forgiveness before you put that book out there. Because that's when you can step into your big girl underwear and your big guy shoes and you can show up in that space and it doesn't matter what anybody has to say about it. Because you've got your healing, you know what the book is meant to do. It is to open up so that other people can be ushered into their healing because now they realize that they're not in this by themselves. But it's in something else you said, and then I'm gonna stop. Michelle, you had asked the question about um, the way that it's written. When it's really telling the story, it's not preachy. Mm -hmm. We have to remember to tell the story and not tell people what to do. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. not your job. Your job is not to tell people what to do. It is to tell the story and then the story will reveal to them what it is that you did that is tips and tools that they may be able to utilize in order to overcome themselves. Excellent. That's excellent. I'm going to I'm going to put a pin in something that you said, but Reginald, let's hear from you. Yeah, I, I want to affirm basically what Andrew and Michelle said. So. Uh, in, in the marginalized voice, the fourth chapter is called Sever the Cord. And this is a chapter written to mothers. And I specifically start the chapter out by talking about I am not a mother and I have no clue of how to be one. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you the testimonies of those young kings that I've been working with for 15 years and the stories that they have been telling. And I'm telling you that you have to sever the cord and I end up by saying, uh, I end the chapter by saying so that you can have a wireless connection, right? Um, because what, what's happening is, 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 is for a lot of mothers, it's difficult to let that, especially them young boys go. And what they're doing is they're actually, they're, they're in many ways, they're, they're slowly killing their sons and they don't know it. And they're killing them with love. But um, my 
my personal experience behind bars have been all of two days. So I don't I don't I don't have jailhouse experience and the book. I didn't write really about things that happened inside of a physical prison. I spoke about things that happened inside of an emotional prison. And so my book is in um, is at Ridgeland Correctional Center in Ridgeland, South Carolina. And um, one day I'm, I'm sitting at home and I'm working and I get a package. And the package actually came from the CO, one of the COs at the facility, and they sent it to, um, you know, the address and all that stuff is in the book. And they sent this package to my office and I open it up and there's like 17 letters in there written on all kinds of paper. And all these letters are written from guys who are incarcerated and they're telling me how I told their story. And I broke down crying because for them to take the time to write me to say that I had articulated their voice. I had one brother who said, if I'd have read this before, I may not have been in here. I had one brother who said, where's Oprah when you need her? I was like, yo, I need him as my PR rep, you know, <laughs> but, but the thing is I, I've been in this, I've been in the behavioral health business for seven, for almost 20 years, about 18 years. And I've listened to story. And I think the thing that you have to do when you are a nonfiction writer, writer, you have to pay attention to the energy that surrounds you, right? Because in that energy are stories, right? And if you just remove what you think, how you feel, what you believe, and just write the story, right? And so that's all I did. I wrote the story. I didn't censor their voices in terms of, you know, there's some FUs in the book and there's some MFs in the book. And there's some, you know, for those of you who may know, there's some MOBs in the book. And I had no problem writing that. And I said, if you have a problem hearing it, then you are validating that they're that they're being marginalized because this is what they feel. Mm -hmm. And so you want to be comfortable. But many of these things they're saying because they're uncomfortable. And if you took the time to sit down and hear them, then they would learn to speak in the language that would make you comfortable. But the thing is, in writing the book, all I did was pay attention to the energy that was around me and put that on the page and let that speak for them. So so, so what I'm hearing, and, and I'm loving this, is that we are writers. We are conduits of stories. We're not always the, the one who's going to know the heart of every situation because you can't. But you were in that prison to tell the stories of people who cannot tell their own stories. So when we talk about, you know, this nonfiction world, yes, you need to have perspective in a in a in an honest voice. But in being honest, it's like Reggie said, is to maybe start that chapter off by saying, I'm not an expert at this. I'm not a mom, but I am going to do my research, give you the, the stories of people who are giving me their stories about their mothers or however it is you want to start it out. So you don't always have to be the expert, but you do have to be the writer. And a good writer is going to do their research. They're going to be honest and authentic in their book. And, and that is that's that's big. When you were talking, all I thought you and Michelle, when you were talking, I was thinking about is that we are writers. That's what we're here to do. Someone has to write the story. Someone has to write the story. But I think what happens with self-publishing is that because so many people are writing books without putting them before a soundboard, 
without having people to say, eh, I'm not sure if that's the right thing. There's a lot of work out there of people who have no background giving advice on topics that are misleading, that are not good, that are not healthy for some, for others. And we have to be responsible and accountable for that. So that's very good. I love that. Anybody else about the heart? We're talking about identifying ideas of subjectivity, telling true stories that matter and making the reader trust you while ensuring an emotional response. What happens when the reader doesn't trust you? <laughs> no credibility. Right. So <laughs> what happens, Reggie, if you told the stories of these young men in prison and you wouldn't use the cuss words? You, you, you know what I'm saying? You watered down the passion and the, the fury and the anger. They would have said, man, you didn't tell my story. Not, not only would they wouldn't say that what they would say is, you know, you're just another conduit of the, of the agency that's here to, to, to destroy me. Mm -hmm. You didn't think enough of me and my, and my, and what I feel to, to articulate that, um, different story, but still kind of the same. It, uh, I had a friend. And this guy is, is 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 big in the music industry behind the scenes, but he does a lot of mentoring, right? And so he he was mentoring this one guy one time, and the guy came up to him and said, "Look, if you leave me, I'm going to kill you." And my man's like, "Huh?" He's like, "Nah, really. If you leave me, I'm going to kill you," because he had become so accustomed to people leaving him, right? And I don't know how serious he was about that word, but he was serious about my my friend not leaving him and and when you don't when you don't articulate somebody's truth what you're doing is you're leaving them mm. you're leaving them and so again i, I say in, in the introduction i'm not here to make you feel comfortable i'm here for you to tell their stories and the fact that I have to do something to make you, again, I said this earlier, the fact that you're asking me to, if you're asking me to do something to make you comfortable, then you're telling me that you're not interested in hearing their voices. I am going to give you their voices raw and uncut because this is what I hear. Mm, love it, love it, love it. Thank you, Reggie. So we're gonna go to the end and that's, a. we're gonna talk about accomplishing your writing goals, validating your personal and professional victories and inspiring, helping and healing yourself. And Michelle, you talked about that and the reader. When you have finished this nonfiction book, you're coming, you're coming to a close. You know, I'm, a, I'm an old co corporate girl. We always say, what's the deliverable? What, what, did, what did I give? What did I get? What was my, my purpose? Did I meet the goal of the book? And talk to me a little bit about wrapping up your nonfiction book and what you learned as a writer and what you were, what did you want your readers to learn about you and the work? Alvinia? Um, the book, um, um, before the book, um, I did a lot of therapy about the things that I put in the book the molestation and all the bad relationships that I had, but therapy works some somewhat. But the book itself, me writing and typing and crying, that was the therapy. That that was the forgiveness of every relationship. Me actually forgiving myself. Me actually looking at myself in the mirror, like you know what. 
you are you are a cool person. You've been through a lot, but you know what? God had you. You're you're okay. That book helped me a lot. It got me through everything that happened. And I just say that I just thank God for, for it because after I wrote the book, and I would say I wrote the book in 2016, I had an interview two weeks ago. A young lady, I had an interview for the book, came to me, who read the book, and she was like, you know, that book helped me heal. This We're in 2021, and that was 2016. She's like, where is the follow-up to that book? Mm -hmm. I'm like, trust me, I'm writing the follow-up to the book. But that's just to say that if I did not write that book and tell my truth and help someone else out, that was the whole purpose of me writing the book. I wanted to not, I wanted to help someone else out. And in the process, it helped me. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad that it helped as many women and it's still continuing to help other women. That was the whole purpose. And I thank God for that. Thank you. Now you made me cry, but thank you so much. <laughs> that was wonderful. Anybody else want to, Tina, Ellen, you want to jump in there? Ellen? Mm-hmm. We'll come to you next, Tina. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, for me and for my clients, the, uh, the women that I deal have dealt with, the deliverable is that I'm, I'm a different person. I'm a different person, not only for mm-hmm. what I needed the book to do for me, but for what it did for others. And when they do their book, you're a different person. Like I said, um, someone made um, reference to you overcoming. I think it was Michelle. You're overcoming. And so now that you overcame, here you are, you're presenting yourself to yourself. And people mm-hmm. don't understand that. We are presenting ourselves to ourselves. And when we do that, then we can authentically, that's my favorite word, we can authentically be what we need to be for other people. Mm-hmm. We cannot be what we need to be. We cannot be that voice of reason. We cannot be that voice of transparency and understanding of maybe I haven't walked directly in your shoe, but I've been there. I understand hurt. I understand disappointment. I understand broken commitments. I understand letting down myself. And so once we've come to that position and stuff in our life, those um, truths that we told, it reveals everything about us, but it also helps reveal everything about the person or the place or the thing that we don't want to go back to. Excellent. I totally agree. I totally agree. Tina? Yes, I think it uh, goes back to what I was uh, saying earlier about you as the writer being your first rough draft. You know, as you're writing your book, like uh, my first book I did called Out of Darkness, um, ooh, that was hard. <laughs> that was rough. You hear what I'm saying? I was the rough draft. And so God wanted me to write this book so that I could come out of the dark place that I was in, out of the stinking thinking, out of the fear, out of the doubt, out of the, the low self-worth and you know and stuff like that. Um, so I had to do that to in order to write the book. And a lot of those chapters were filled with uh, tissues and chocolate and crying and you know um, to, to get the book done. And so once the book was finished, you know, 
once the book was finished, I was at a different place. I started the book in one place and then I finished the book in another place mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Okay. And this is the hope that you want for your readers. You want them to start the book in one place and finish it in the other, in another place. Um, so I think, um, just allowing yourself to be that rough draft, you know, uh, is going to help a lot as far as what you get from your book and what your reader gets from your book. Michelle. I think too, and it's so important what Tina said, I want to add this to the conversation. Um, when you're writing your book, you're taking your reader on the journey. There is, it's almost like you're going on a road trip and they are your co-pilot right there with you. They're in there with you. And so they are experiencing everything that you're experiencing. The only difference is it is their life that they are experiencing it through. So by the time they get to the end of the book, they should be at a place of forgiveness and overcoming too. They're going through this journey with you. And so that's the importance of telling the story. Nonfiction gives you the opportunity to take people on a journey to healing, forgiveness, and wholeness. Because it's answering a question as it tackles an issue. And that's so important. And, and I think that is the, the crust behind it. Because when, I have to be honest, when God told me to write Walking on Water in My Stilettos, I was like, yeah, right, buddy. <laughs> Not gonna happen. Because I'm, I'm a church girl. And, and being a church girl, I knew about the saints. And he was in, he was telling me to be transparent mm -hmm. about some very difficult times in my life. Some things that I, if I look back on it too long, I would have been embarrassed about. And now you're wanting me to put it out there. But what he did is he took me on the journey to healness and wholeness when I wrote the book. And so by the time it got to the market, Michelle was good. And, and I was ready to move forward. So you're really taking them on a journey. And, and I think that's the key that, that a lot of us sometimes forget. Go on the journey. Because when you go on the journey, you have the memory about how you got there. But the experience is over. And that's the same thing you want for your reader. Once they go on the journey, they want to have the memory of how they overcame but you want the experience to go its own way. The experience is over, it's done. And now you're ready for the next because you don't know what's coming next. You don't know how that book set you up for what God is getting ready to do next. You, you don't know if he set you up for a comeback or if it was a straight setup to move you up because He's seen your willingness to be used and now he's ready to elevate you to the position he meant to put you in in the first place. And if he's doing that for you as the writer of the book, imagine what he's doing to the people that are reading the book. Now I'm stopping. Ready? One, um, Michelle made me think of something. So one young lady purchased a book and she sent it to her brother who was in a prison in Kentucky. And so he sends her a text 
which she then sends to me in an email. And he says, I don't even like books like this, but I like this book. But here's what I like. He said a lot, a lot of other things, but here's what I like. He says, when I leave, I'm not even going to take this book with me. I'm leaving it in the library because other brothers must read this book. Mm -hmm. So, you know, again, that's just a testament to what Michelle says in, in terms of people going on a journey. So apparently the book took him on a journey. And he, again, if my sister sent me a book, I'm taking it with me. But I love the fact he says, I will not take the book with me. I will leave it in the library with must read on there because brothers must read this book. That's excellent. That's yeah. excellent. We're down to the last 30 minutes. We're going to talk about publishing. I always like to talk about publishing and marketing, but I also want to wrap up um, this whole conversation about writing nonfiction. Um, and we can spend this time, you know, going and, and talking about some other things as well. So don't feel limited that we can't go back and discuss some topics. But what I learned, and every time we have this pen posse, I learned something. I want you guys to know the last pen posse, I went and got my life right about my my ISPN. Um, I mean, I don't know what it was. It was the conference. And I'm going, wait a minute, Michelle, you didn't even do this right this time. Like, go back, fix it. And I did. I even I am putting my first book back out there with a new cover um, without the vanity publishing company that I use. So there is so much knowledge in having these conversations. And even sitting here now, I've learned so much. But what I want people to know about writing nonfiction is that there's something that's driving you to do it. OK, there's something that's driving. Now, I, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to say I feel like it's God that drives me to write. But for those of you out there, if you feel that you have something to say, you've got the experience behind it or you're going to do the research and you can put a good book out there, you should do it because there is something that your reader needs to know that you have been selected to tell them you are a storyteller. And so you, you have to honor that. You have to honor that. But the best way to honor it is to honor it in truth and authenticity. And I love what Michelle said. And that is so true about, you know, telling that story. Heal yourself first, because when you put a book out like that, people are going to expect you to be able to continue that conversation with them beyond the book. I remember coming out of college. I'm in a, uh, it, my life was in just, it was upside down, be honest with you. And I remember picking up In the Meantime by Ayala Renzet. You know, we see her now on TV and people have a lot of comments, but that book changed my life. And so I remember just growing up and reading books like that and reading Joyce Myers and reading um, countless books that was self-help, books on finance, books on career. These books were written by people who felt a desire to put their ideas out into the world, but they had to do it with skill and tact, and they had to be able to put it out there in their own truth and be willing to speak to it and be open and honest about what they experienced. And I can read a book now, take me 10 pages, I can tell you if that writer gonna tell, is really telling me what's really going on with them. And I will shut that book down and sling it across the table, which is my thing. When I slide a book across the table, they know, uh oh, that wasn't the one. And you know, because that voice is too artificial, it's too phony. But when someone says to me, as um, Alvin, you talked about being truthful about their experiences, you feel that in the work, you feel that in the world, the word selection, the, the titles, the characters, 
the storyline. And that's what's important. And we have to do that. So I want everyone to kind of wrap up now a little bit about the nonfiction world before we get into the publishing, just about some of the things that we talked about before. If there's anything you want to say, if not, we can talk about, you can talk to us about your publishing experience. And are there differences in how you publish a nonfiction or fiction book in regards to the types of editors you look for, the types of writing consultants you look for, uh, the types of inspiration you get. I know I just put a lot out there, but I just wanted to, anybody want to just round table talk about what we've either discussed or talk about the publishing experience. Yeah. I, I, I had, um, I had three, I hired three editors and I had a, another editor, someone I worked under years ago who was kind of like a consultant. I, I would call and just ask her certain things. Uh, but it, one of the things that you have to do um, when writing your book is you have to have someone who understands what you're writing about and what your voice is in that writing. Mm -hmm. The first editor for me um, happened to be a good friend. He, 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 he is a pastor or actually he was a pastor. He's no longer a pastor. Um, but he was also, uh, in addition to being a pastor, he was also, um, his undergrad degree is in journalism from the University of, Mar uh, University of Missouri. And he's, he's a phenomenal writer and he's also an activist. So I had the journalist, activist, former pastor who went over the first draft. Right. And then, um, and so he knew he knew my spirit. I knew his. And um, the first I, I only had when I gave it to him, I only had, um, I think, seven chapters. And so he read it. He went through the edits. He gave me a suggestions. But then the, one of the things he says is you got to have a chapter on the church and you have to challenge their bad behavior. Mm. I was like, whoa, OK. Okay. And so again, you just, it's just not having any editor It's having the editor who understands what you're writing about and also an editor who understands your voice and, and whether or not you can, they can articulate it. And then the other two editors were, um, um, both of those were, 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 were folk who were, uh, who were corporate editors. Um, th there was one who does all the editing for a major insurance company. And, uh, and so she's really, she really has a, not just dot the I and cross the T's, man, but she just, she has, she's really in the weed of things. And some of the, some of the edits that she gave me was just phenomenal. And so in addition to that, prior to that, I had probably 14 beta readers and they didn't read the entire book, but they read certain parts of the book. And, and, and like, for instance, the, the, the chapter that I had on fatherhood, uh, the brother is a therapist. Uh, his, his son is a, well-known actor <laughs> um, and he works with men. So I just tried to find people who, who understood what I was talking about. So that was the one thing that was, was important for me to just get people who were going to make sure that I wasn't putting out garbage. Great. Excellent. Tina, Vanya, Michelle, any comments? Tina. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Reginald, I think um, having the correct editor is key. Matter of fact, having an editor, because <laughs> some people do not get editing, they skip the editing process. And it's so important. Um, I'm a Christian editor. Um, and so 
I decided to become a Christian editor because, you know, I found that, like you said, if if the wrong person is editing your book, they really just don't get it. They really just don't. They they cannot help you uh, get the point across. They're you know taking this out and taking that out, which mm-hmm. is essentially taking out your voice. And as an editor, the main thing you want to do is keep the voice of the writer. Uh, so I would say that will be key when you're going through the editing process. Uh, make sure your editor is familiar. You know what kind of editing do they do? Um, what you know is it de- developmental editing? Is it just line editing? Um, make sure that they understand the importance of keeping your voice in your work. This is your baby. Uh, so please make sure of that. And and when you're going through publishing, you know, just make sure uh, what does your publisher offer? You know, are they going to help you with marketing? Are they going to help you, um, uh, you know, learn how to, uh, you know, uh, do your book launch? You know, what, what do they offer you? So, um, there's all different kinds of publishers. So that would be my advice uh, when you're going through that actually getting your book out process. Michelle? I agree totally. One of the things that I, I do with my clients is I put the initial editing on them once they finish the writing process. Because I'm an editor as well, and Tina can speak to this. Hunty, sometimes we get these books. Um, I got to send it back to you because I don't know what your voice is. Mm -hmm. I I don't know what you're trying to say. It's like you just took a bunch of journal entries and put them in there and sent them off to me to try to make it make sense. So to help me out and to help others out that are editors, I teach them how to do the basic editing themselves because there is a basic level of editing that authors can do. Mm-hmm. And there are some tech tools that are available that they can use to help them get that basic level of editing. But you need more than that. So put it in the hands of an editor, somebody that is not married to your manuscript. Because this is a thing that I've learned um, from journaling, blogging, and writing. Your brain is a fantastic machine. And your brain will fill in the blanks in your writing. So whereas you thought you said something, you really didn't. And so I teach them some of those tools, like read your book out loud to yourself. Read it out loud so that you hear it because you can pick it up when you haven't continued a thought. Um, Simple stuff, get you a community of supporters Mm -hmm. that only have the job of proofreading. That's all you're asking them to do is proofread. Come back with the, the grammar, the spelling and those type of things so that you know you have that. And then once you get that done, send it off to the editor. Because what the editor then does is the editor will check all of the punctuation and the spelling and the sentence structure, but we also look for continuity of thought. Did you finish that thought or did you leave the reader hanging? Making them, well, what happened? Well, what, what's the rest of the story? So we allow you to get that continuity of thought as well, because if we question it, we know that the reader is going to question it as well. And so as far as publishing, I have done both. 
I have done the independent publishing and I've also done the self-publishing. Um, but I agree with both Reggie and Tina said, read the fine print. Understand the context of the relationship. Don't assume that they are going to do something that has not been spelled out to you because that is disappointing. Know your questions that, know the things that you want. I always tell my authors, give your book an assignment. When you give it an assignment, you know what you need to have in order for it to complete the assignment. And then if you're working with an independent um, publisher, you can spell out, you can ask questions. This is what I need, do you offer that? I need this, do you offer that? And if they don't offer the majority of the things that you need and you're doing more of the work than they are, and find you another one. Because you don't have to sign with the first publisher that you encounter, because you're paying them for a service. So they thereby work for you. And if they're not meeting your needs, then you find you one that does. There's nothing wrong with you interviewing the publisher. There's nothing wrong with it. Sounds good. Thank you. Reggie, you had some more to say? Uh, a quick funny story about editing. First of all, all I always say about editing, a person or an author who chooses not to, 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 to have an editor to edit, edit their book is like someone driving in a car with bad brakes, right? Mm -hmm. You're bound to have an accident, right? But quick funny quick story about editing and why it's important to have editors and why it's important to have multiple editors. So the second editor sends my these sends back her edits and in it she says, uh, was Jesus born in a in a major? So I'm like, I got indignant about that thing. Like, yo, you don't know that story, man. What's wrong with you? Like, it sends, you know, and I never said anything to her, but I'm like you don't know this, so I'm, I'm not even going to pay attention to your edit, and I kept it moving. I send the book, the manuscript, to the third editor, and she says the same thing. Jesus born in the major, but what she did was she then put a quote, or uh, she put something. She says, was he born in the major, or was he put in a major? And just that one little thing makes a difference, you know? And so, I mean, a lot of people probably would have not caught it, but but it was important to me that there was a difference between being born in it and being put in it. Yeah, that's it. So there is something else that I wanted to bring up about um, nonfiction uh, writing is that, and this really does speak to something that uh, several of you said, and that's just knowing your story and owning it and being ready, you being healed and then being able to continue that conversation beyond the book because i do think that that is the beauty of a nonfiction book is that it starts a conversation it really does it starts a conversation it, it and and that's why people end up writing so many nonfiction books you get on a topic and you continue to write it i think about finance and people who write books on finance in the midst of COVID, so many people had hit on hard financial times that a lot of people who wrote books and dropped books on finance, either right before COVID or during COVID, they got a lot of calls and a lot of questions and a lot of interview you know, requests. Because now it's like, you've got this book out here and we're in a financial bind in this country as a whole. We wanna use that expertise. 
Well, I've seen people who put out books and could not speak to finance beyond the book. So it was an expo it exposes you when you don't write a book from a level of experience or at least have a good perspective that you can continue to communicate on beyond the book. Because those are the things that can get you, even writing books on faith. You may have an idea about how, your ideas about faith, but it may not be the ideas of other. You have to stand behind that and be able to, I won't say just justify what, what your perspective, but you're going to have theologians from everywhere challenging you. So it is important that when you write this nonfiction that you understand that your perspective is something you really need to stand behind. And I can't remember this guy, I don't follow him, but the guy who was shooting videos of himself in the car talking about relationships. What, and, Jackson. Yes. And put out these books on relationships and they find out that there are, you know, extra why, I mean, extra girlfriends and all kinds of things. And his credibility is so shot now because of that. And so I do want to stress for those of you who are out there writing nonfiction, understand that we're reading it, we're listening, and we're trusting you until you give us a reason not to trust you, but that the conversation starts with the book, but you need to continue on that expert level. I'm sure, Reggie, you get people who contact you about, you know, your books and, and what you found. And so, you know, that I can, you know, as a nonfiction, as a fiction writer, I can always say, I just made that story up. <laughs> I have no more to say about it. But with, with, with nonfiction, it's very different. And so we do have to stand behind that work and behind our perspective. So anyone else wanted to talk about Michelle? I'm sorry, um, Alvin, I'm gonna let her speak, Michelle, and, and then you're next. Mm -hmm. I think it's just about being authentic and being yourself. You, My whole thing is, I'm not gonna tell another person to do something that I wouldn't do. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna, and especially as a woman, I'm not gonna tell another woman don't do that in that relationship and if i'm not going to do it or if i'm not going to try it i i just i don't um i have people ask me for advice all the time and i always say this is my opinion please don't take my advice because i don't want you to say that you broke up my relationship or anything like that i am just giving you my opinion and that's it and so I feel like when people give relationship advice and they say, well, women, you don't need to be with that man. You put yourself out there and you hold yourself to a higher standard. And when you do extra activities, women are looking at you like, well, look at that. Just what happened with him. So you should be very careful when you're giving advice, especially on that level of a platform that he had. For anyone, you should just be careful. Yeah, I agree. Michelle? Um, a thought just came to me after uh, Reggie's story. Um, and and this is, is a question that came to me recently from one of my clients. Um, should they use, can they write their book without using the names of the individuals that are included in their story? And um, what I normally say is, you can write the book without the names. You can you can talk about the person, but you don't have to write their names. Mm -hmm. You don't have to say 
that John Smith is the person who did this to me at this point in time. You don't, you can tell the story without revealing the person. Um, and, and I think what that does is that brings a certain level of respect to your storyline because it, I, I don't remember who said it, but, um, uh, they talked about, um, messy, uh, vulnerability. Um, you don't want to be messy in your vulnerability. You don't want to take somebody else down because you, um, are trying to tell the story and now you're indicting somebody because of what they did. Your job is just to tell the story. It is just to tell the story because you are, you're taking these people on this journey so that they can too get their own personal healing. Even when I wrote um, my book, Walking the Water in My Stilettos, I had several people come back to me and say, girl, you didn't tell my story. That is my story. And you don't know how that freed me. You gave me the permission to heal. And I had to correct them. I didn't give you the permission to heal. What I did is I allowed you to see the healing was an option. Mm-hmm. And you stepped into the space and allowed your healing to take place. And so you can be vulnerable without being messy and you don't have to use specific names. You can tell the story without using the names. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything on Mark? I'm sorry. Did someone, did I miss? Yeah. yeah. Um, to your point about um, having some authenticity in terms of after, you know, post book, um, the greatest amount of pushback that I've gotten from the book has been from therapists. Mm. Um, the chapter on, on therapy is called treadmill therapy. And again, it's not anti-therapy. It's anti-therapy therapist approach. Um, and so I've, I've had to put, and I, I don't know any other way to say it. So please excuse me. I, I've had to put a lot of therapists in their place to let them know that the way that you do your work is ineffective as it relates to black boys. I don't know about anyone else. And so I had this one huge conversation with this one therapist, like, and we went back and forth and I know why he had the position that he had. And finally, um, after three, four months, I got a, I received an email from him with two uh, articles from the ADA making an apology for how they administer therapy. Mm-hmm. 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 I, I'm a boy mom, and I can tell you right now, <laughs> school systems across the board, they, the way they handle and deal with young black men, it is it's unfair. It is unjust and it's obvious. It's mm-hmm. to me, not even a, you know, we can do a million studies. You don't have to go and see how many they send to detention for the mm-hmm. smallest of things. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a really, my son is 14 and I tell you, I go to war. I 100% agree with you. I'm not anti-therapist at all, but you have to really understand the dynamics of a person's background in order to meet them where they are to give them the work, the help that they need. So I love that. And and, and, and all of us, we get challenged on our work. We really do. Be, getting challenged on our work is something, you know, my first book is Christian fiction. I can tell you I had people who didn't like certain things about about it. You, you just, that's a part of what 
happens. What I love, what I've been learning over the years, this last year of doing interviews with um, authors from the BWW is that what I do love about all of you is that I've probably interviewed well over 50 authors or had roundtable discussions and just a number of authors. Most of the people that come on my screen, very, I would say 99%, they know what they're talking about. They know because they wrote that book, they put their hard mind into it. They didn't just write. It was like, did your homework, understood you have a clear perspective, even if I don't agree with you, but you still have a very clear perspective. I don't have to agree with you because that's the whole point of, to me, nonfiction is bringing new perspectives and ideas to the table. So I don't have to agree with you, but you've got to write it from a place of, uh, you have to trust your own voice and be able to stand behind it. So that's excellent. Anybody on marketing your books? Um, have you had any experiences that were unique to marketing a nonfiction book and any advice you can give? Michelle? I think one of the, the biggest things is, is create an atmosphere where you can thrive to market your book. And, and what I mean by that is this, you, people are buying you. Let, let's get that out there first. They're buying you. The book is what they consume, but they're buying you. Mm -hmm. And so once they get the know, like, and trust where you're concerned, they're going to buy whatever you're, whatever you're putting out in the marketplace. Okay. So show up and be consistent in your showing up. If you're going to show up on social media and use video, which I recommend wholeheartedly, you can do a two minute clip. It could be a reading, quick reading from your book. It can be you talking about something about the book, whatever, but show up and show up consistently. If you know that you're a speaker and the book is going to be the platform that you're going to use to build that speaking business off of, then get your stuff together. Get that sales page together. Get the book sales page together. Get your speakers page together and put it out there and, and send it out to those places that you know you have a, an entrance into. You know, you have to step up your game. Mm -hmm. Nobody is responsible for selling your book but you. Nobody's responsible for marketing your book but you. I happen to be, I live in Indianapolis, and when my brother was alive, I went to Terre Haute to visit him. And they have this small, quaint bookstore. And it's a Christian bookstore, and I was like, let me go in there and see what they're doing. So when I went in there, they didn't look like me. The authors of the books didn't look like me. So I went right back out to my car and I always keep books in the back of my car. Okay. Cause I never know when I'm, I'm going to meet somebody that needs to have a copy of this book. So I went back in with my book and I talked to the lady that manages the bookstore and I asked her, what is their process for putting books on their shelves? And she was like, well, we normally get them from a distributor. And she was telling me all that. I said, so you don't have any independent authors? She said, oh, yeah, we have independent authors. And then she looked at me kind of sideways. And she said, are you an independent author? I said, well, matter of fact, I am. And here's my book. Here's the sales page. Here is the link to the book online. Here is everything you need. So what do I need to do to get my book on your shelf? Mm-hmm. 
And when I left there, I left five books on that shelf. And so you, you have to step up your game because we, we do this fear thing. We, we want to act real scared. But if you were bold enough to be transparent and authentic in the book, be just as bold to market that book to make sure that the people that need to get it, read it and receive it, get a hold of it. I agree. No fear. I love it. Well, guys, we're going to wrap up by giving everybody an opportunity to tell where our viewers can um, get your books. Uh, this will be on Facebook, uh, my page, Optimus Shelby Jackson. It will also be on the Black Writers Workspace page. It will be on YouTube and Spotify on our new podcast. So I'm really excited about that. And next month, we'll have another roundtable during the third week of uh, June. I'm not sure what the topic will be. Uh, however, if you're interested in becoming a member of the Pen Posse, you can always register on the BWW page. And uh, we're just so thankful to have you. You guys always bring so much knowledge and so much skill and so much tech and professionalism to this conversation. And that's what, you know, all day long, if you're on the BWW, people are asking questions. What do I do? How do I do this? How to get over just tons of questions all day. And it just shows you how many of us are out there trying to perfect this skill of writing and how important it is. So, you know, I there are no more important there's no one more important, in my opinion, than a nonfiction writer, because you're trying to change lives. You're trying to motivate people, inspire them. And that's a big, big responsibility. So when you sit down to write, you have to do it fearlessly because you don't know what's going to happen. But you have to have professionalism and you have to have standards and tech and all those different things. But you also have to have some fearlessness. So we really do appreciate that. And we want to give everybody an opportunity to talk about where to get their books. And then I will wrap up. And um, we didn't have any questions this time, which is interesting, but I don't know. Let's see if any come in in the last couple of minutes. I think we addressed a lot of information, though. So that's a good thing. So we're going to start with you, Reggie. Uh, tell us where can we, the name of your book and where we can get that book. So I think, uh, what is that? Right corner, a marginalized voice. Uh, you can get it from AMV onlinestore.com again amvonlinestore.com i am that independent author i will never hook up no I'm, I'm not gonna do it this time uh you can also see you can also check me out personally on my uh personal website which is reginaldwilliams.org that's r-e-g-i-n-a-l-d williams.org and my um social media platform is seeding s-e-d-d-i-n-g two t-o bill B-U-I-L-D. That just comes from being in the country and growing up on the farm. See. Thank you. Michelle? Um, you can very easily reach me. All of my links are on solo, S-O-L-O dot T-O backslash Michelle P as in Paul Jones. Um, it's very easy. If you go there, my website is there. Um, if you are interested in any um, coaching for writing and telling your story, that link is on there as well. And the link to be able to purchase any of my books is out there. Um, Grasping Your Success, Six Steps to Starting and Legitimizing Your Business, Walking on Water in My Stilettos, and Desperate Housewives of Biblical Proportions. Excellent, excellent. Avinia? 
Sorry. That's okay. I do that all the time. You can um, reach me at my website at Alvinia Key, which is A-L-V-I-N-Y-A-K-E-Y.com. And you can get my book. It's called Love or the Illusions of Love. And then my children's book is Little Frank's Colorful Zoo Adventure. Thank you. Thank you. Tina? Hi, yes. Um, I can be uh, contacted at uh, Um uh, You'll find all my books there. Uh, also on equaledits.com. I have a bookstore there, which also has some other little uh, trinkets on there that authors may like. Uh, you can um, book a, a editing service with me, a coaching service or whatever you need. Also on equal uh, equaledits.com. And of course, I'm on Facebook under Equal Edits and author Tina Adams. Thank you for Excellent. having me. Thank you. So, Michelle Jackson, and you can also pick up a copy of my books, The Heart of a Man, um, at, or From Darkness to Night, Book One, Family Secrets, at www.authormichelledjackson.com. Um, um, I also wanted to invite our guests to be a part of the symposium. Uh, we will also like to ask everyone to help us fundraise by purchasing a Pin Posse t-shirt and uh, we'll be adding some more information out on the page. We're so excited about our writer's symposium because I feel like it's going to be, it's just going to be, it's going to be electrifying. It's going to be all about writing and we have some amazing speakers, uh, but we're always looking for other um, great voices to add. So if you're interested, you can always email me at events at prsolutionsllc.org. Thank you, everyone. We are about two minutes over. Um, have a great Saturday. I will put the next theme or topic for next week, next month out. Um, and you can let me know if you're interested. And if you want to join the Pen Posse, you can also email me at the same email address, events at prsolutionsllc.org. Thank you guys so much. Um, have a great weekend.